Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. How many of you were here last week? Yeah? Good. Good. If I'm right, last week Bob continued our series looking at the values that we hold as a church. And he spoke on the sixth of our subjects, was about being a church which is a loving community, meeting publicly and from house to house, sharing and caring for one another's needs, both spiritual and material. Is that right? Does that ring a bell? Yeah? Good. Good. Because it's a value that I hope we would all wholeheartedly agree with. And this week, as I move on to look at our next value, I feel sure that we would all like to feel the same. I think we would all agree that it's a biblical value that we know we should share. But I think we're equally aware of how difficult it is. How difficult it is and how difficult we find it to live out this next set of values in real life. Because these next set of values relate to family life. And for some reason, families are just complicated. So what are they? We want to be a church where biblical family life is highly valued. Where husband and wife embrace male servant leadership and joyful female submission. Where godly parenting is taught and practiced. And where the special value of singleness with its unique opportunities are affirmed. Today we're hitting on a subject that all too often gets misunderstood, misinterpreted and misquoted. It's an area where teachings are so often misrepresented or again misquoted. Biblical family life. So let's dive in. What does it mean to value biblical family life? Quite simply, it means this, that when you're looking for a model of how families should work in a culture that is full of dysfunctional examples of family life, we should look first at what scripture teaches us. Because scripture has a lot to say on issues such as marriage, about how husbands and wives should work things out, about parenting and about singleness. And although some would argue that these values come from an age and a culture which is long gone, they're missing a valuable point. These values come direct from our Creator as His inspired word to us. And you know, when all else fails, we should consult the Maker's instructions. 
This is how Paul puts it to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. All scripture is valuable. That's what he says. It's valuable for our teaching and our equipping. And that includes even those parts of the Bible that don't, when you read them, seem to fit in with our modern day thinking and ideas. We have to recognise that we live in a fallen world where everything has been spoilt, everything contaminated. And we need from the outset to understand that the world works to a different set of values. And so many that we meet would have been influenced and even would have adopted or been hurt by those values. Equally, even where we see these values being taught, sometimes they suffer from having been distorted or exaggerated by influences from the world. The Bible's clear. From its very outset, that the normal model for family life is marriage. The creation of a new family unit. In describing that very first relationship between a man and a woman, Genesis tells us, Therefore a man should leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that new family mirrors a model that we see in other areas of biblical life. We see it in the Godhead, first of all, before creation. We see it in the creative process, we see it in marriage itself, and we see it in the end times in the relationship that Christ has with the church. And that model is one of loving headship and joyful submission. The difficulty is that as soon as we start to use some of these words, people start to react. They have preconceptions that they've picked up somewhere. They maybe know of instances of abuse that either they've suffered or heard of. And then, of course, in the world, we have all the issues about equality in terms of employment and pay. We have fears of going out on an extreme and the consequences that we imagine are possible. And, of course... At the end of the day, we're all the product of our upbringing and our environment. But whatever our preconceptions, one thing we can't get away from is the fact that this is what the Bible teaches. Take, for example, in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that message is repeated in Colossians 3, in Titus 2 and in 1 Peter 3. The fact that this model for living together is repeated so often means that we ought to sit up and take notice. But many, particularly since the rise of the feminist movement, which was in itself a reaction to the equally wrong domination of women in a previous era, find that language hard to swallow. I think, firstly, the construction of the texts can be a barrier. And as a result of their reaction to certain parts, they misunderstand and fail to see the context which follows. The bold assertion that wives should submit can be a stumbling block. And that stumbling block means that the context is lost. Secondly, the language can also be a barrier. The word submission has started to take on meanings that it was never intended to have. And as a result, there's a feeling that words like joyful could never be used in the same sentence as submission. And yet they clearly can. So what is submission? That's this morning see whether we can work through some of the misunderstanding and get just a glimpse of the biblical model that God intended. First, let's just put the preconceptions aside. What God intended was not a relationship where the male dominated and the female is subservient. The Bible never models a relationship characterised by domination at all, whether you're talking about leadership or whether you're talking about marriage. Leadership is to be servant-like, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the home, or whether it's in the community. Domination, manipulation, and those sorts of words are not kingdom values. In fact, quite the opposite. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae about their wives, told husbands, do not be harsh with them. It's not about a matter of inequality either. Whoever we are, whatever we do for the church or the kingdom, whether a husband or a wife or whether neither, we are all equal in our value to God. He looks upon us all as sons. We have all those benefits and responsibilities that goes with that. When he looks upon us, whoever we are, what he sees is us clothed in Christ's righteousness. The only thing that differs is our role. And we are all made to complement each other. Whether you're looking in the church, where we all differ... Yet as living stones we are built together. Or whether you look in a relationship. But as long as we each fulfil our part diligently. We are all of equal value and merit. Equally. 
It doesn't mean that the wife has no views or opinions of her own. It doesn't mean that she has no voice or that she's a doormat to be walked over. In fact, the Bible tells us she is fearfully and wonderfully made. Like all of us, she is in the very image of God. And as such, she is to be valued and praised. Repeatedly, Paul says to the husbands, love your wives. When we read Proverbs 31, we see a picture of a wonderful God-fearing wife. And when I read it, I don't see a woman who is restricted or dominated in any way. I see a woman who is every bit the equal of her husband. And in fact, he has fame because of her. Listen to it. An excellent wife. Who can find? She is more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from afar. She rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. <coughs> she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. When I read that, what I see is a powerful, ambitious woman. She's successfully running a household and a business. She's providing not only for her family, but for the poor and for the needy. I don't read about a woman who's dominated, downtrodden, lacking in value, timid, repressed, or even unfulfilled. So let's go back to Paul's writing. Let's look at this from another angle. But let's start at the end and work backwards. Paul's instruction to husbands is the bit that doesn't get read as often. The reason for that is because we stop reading at the submission bit because it's hard to swallow. But listen to it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
his command is that as husbands we should love our wives and not just a bit or even a lot but specifically as Christ loved the church Christ loved the church so much that when we were lost and fallen he gave up everything he had he left the glory of heaven he emptied himself scripture says to walk this earth as a man in our place out of his great love he suffered the humiliation and the pain of death by crucifixion and in addition to that he took our sin upon himself he suffered the wrath and the separation from his father that that brought in our place and as a result he brought us new life and intimacy with his father he loved the church so much that he gave everything everything and that is what Paul is calling us husbands to do to give up everything in our love and our consideration of our wives in everything we do in every decision we make to put their best interests first and in order to do that we need first to listen to them to value their views and their opinions to consider their interests and look at their position otherwise we can't hope to make a wise informed decision and it's only as we learn to do that in a selfless way that we actually start to find we rarely disagree in that context submission becomes easy because those who are faced with such love can only respond by entrusting their well-being submission becomes less about giving way to the power of someone else over you and more about voluntarily deferring to the judgment of someone else who has your best interest at heart and that is the form of submission that Paul exhorts us all to just a few verses earlier he says don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody for the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ 
so is this all about marriage? No, not by a long way. The Bible equally has a lot to teach us about the way we bring up our children. It tells us not to infuriate them. It reminds us that discipline and boundaries are necessary if we want to see them mature. And it instructs us to teach them about God. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words, I command you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you should talk of them when you sit down in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise. Let's just stop for a moment. Just think for a moment of one word that you would compare children to. Have you all got one? Have you got one word that's children in your mind? Come on, Sue, what's yours? The weather. The weather. Changeable, does that mean? Right. Sometimes stormy, sometimes sunny. Oh, I like that. Anyone else got one? Goats. Goats. Is that stubborn? Well, sometimes stubborn, sometimes they turn around and kick you. Sometimes they turn around and kick you. Okay. There's no, there's no positive side to that, is there, that one? No, no, okay. That, that might just be a temporary thing, hopefully. Anyone else? Laughter. Laughter. Does you good. What they do they're yeah. Comical, they? they are. They are. That's good. I like that one. Laughter. Now I went out on a limb here because I guessed that no one was going to come up with the word arrows. Did anyone get arrows? I mean, how can I put this? But if you had to get out of bed at two o'clock to clean up after your child has been sick in a small caravan because they had too many donuts. Okay. The word arrow <laughs> is not the word that springs to mind, is it? You don't go, oh my poor little arrow. But Psalm 127 speaks of children as being arrows in our hands. Just think about it for a moment. Arrows have to be carefully made. To turn a branch into an arrow takes quite a bit of time, a lot of care, quite a bit of skill. If you've ever tried to fire a bent arrow, you know it doesn't fly very well. Here's another question. Who are we feeling should be the primary shaper of our children? Should it be their school friends and peers? Should it be what they watch on TV? 
Should it be the films they go to see or the magazines they buy and read? Because one thing is for certain. If we don't shape our children, someone else will. And an arrow flies in the direction in which it is pointed. Secondly though, children, like arrows, are weapons of war. God uses them. They are swift. They penetrate. They can be quite offensive weapons in advancing the gospel in the lives of other people in the future. And you know, they can unleash a great deal of damage on the kingdom of darkness. And the fact is, they start doing it when they're young. Their innocent questions penetrate where adults fear to delve. Why don't we see you at church anymore? Why are you reading that? Children, like arrows, obediently go in the direction they're fired in. In fact, obedience is the main biblical command to children. If you look at what the Bible commands children, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. But it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. That's in Ephesians 6. And that obedience, if we learn it as children, is the key to all the other godly characteristics. Because issues such as laziness, such as bad manners, are actually rooted in disobedience. If you tell your child, and you train him to be well-mannered, then he will be, unless he's disobedient. And finally... Being single. There will always be those amongst us who are single. That might be through circumstance or it might be through choice. And we need to be clear that the Bible affirms both marriage and singleness as good. In Genesis 2, in the case of marriage, when God recognised it wasn't good for man to be alone. In the case of singleness, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7. And this was addressed to the widows and those who were single amongst them. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single, as I am. He said that because there are some distinct advantages to the kingdom in being simple, single. Henry Thoreau said, A man who goes alone can start today. But he who travels with another must wait until the other is ready. Singleness allows opportunities for the kingdom's advance that marriage sometimes cannot. The ability to respond to the call of God on our lives without having to give consideration to the welfare of others. But singles also know the tensions 
that those of us who are married may not. They can easily get overcommitted, self-centred or lonely. One of the beauties of the local church is that those of us who are married, those of us who are single, children and adults can all be a loving community, supporting each other, encouraging one another, learning from one another and on a mission together. That's why we need to hold these biblical family values highly. We need to submit to one another in love. Now I've got some application to bring, but I just want to look at Morwenna and see if there's anything she wants to say before I do that. Quite dangerous, isn't it, for Owen to stand up here and preach on something like that with the rest of the family in the room. And um, I would just like to add to what he said, is that I wholeheartedly endorse what he said from a woman's point of view. But we've had to work at that. It didn't happen right from when we got married. I didn't naturally sub met in that kind of loving way because I grew up um, in a family where my dad uh, was around but quite passive and my mum was very very strong and these days you'd say that she wore the trousers in the house and made all the decisions and so I grew up in a family like that and so it was quite different when we came to get married to learn um, biblically what the best way of working things out together was and I think in 28, 29 years of marriage it's taken time for those values to gradually be learned and embedded in but I think at this point now that we've got to it's very rare that we have a disagreement about particular things um, and in the end if we do I decides that actually Owen is responsible for me in, in God's eyes and therefore I think well, if he gets it wrong then you know he's responsible <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah so I think, I think that's probably okay. thanks Moena <coughs> I just want to ask you a few questions this morning how did your heart respond when it dawned on you what I was going to be talking about? Was it with great joy and submission to the word? Or did it actually start to cause a tension within you? Are there issues in your own relationships which actually result from a fear of domination? Maybe from a past experience when you were growing up. Guys, are you realising that you're not fulfilling your role to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Do you listen to her? Do you take on board her welfare and her thoughts? As a husband, are you leading your family? Are you leading it in that loving way?
singles? Are you joyfully submitted to the Lord? Are you looking for ways that you can serve the church, serve God, and serve those with families? Because it's easy to become self-sufficient. What areas can you look to serve and to lead in? I want to leave it there. I just want to ask God, I just want to pray and ask God to just put things in your heart if there are areas that need adjustment. If you'd like someone to pray with you, then you're welcome to at the end of the meeting. But I wonder, Joel, have you got one song we could just finish with? Is that dropping it on you at short notice? But let's just pray while Joel has a think. Father, we can see your model. We can see your model for family life that is based on biblical principles. But sometimes we just struggle. We struggle because of things in our past. We struggle because it's so contrary to what the world teaches. We struggle because it feels like giving up our rights and our liberty. We struggle because at heart we all have a tendency to be selfish and so it's hard to put our trust in others. Father, we would love you to break through that. We'd love to see you break through in our relationships with each other. We'd love to see you break into our families so that parenting is the pleasure it should be and children the blessing. We ask you to break into our lives if we're single and just give us a focus and an energy and a passion for you that those who are encumbered with other relationships can't see and can't understand. And we just ask these things, that the glory might go to you and to your son Jesus, who's held up as our example in the way he loves us, for the way we should love one another. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 